Welcome to the Otterly Podcast. Today, Jasmine and Brendan sat down with Mr. Avery to reminisce on his last 30 years here at OV. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks for having me. So we have a couple of questions. Uh, first, how's, uh, how's your day been so far? You know, my day is always uh, complex. Yeah. And uh, how can I say it? It's always varied. That's what <laughs> keeps you coming back every day. Uh, how are you feeling about the interview? I'm uh, looking forward to it, actually. I, I like talking to you guys about yeah. things. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, so uh, what state were you born in? I was born in uh, Camden, New Jersey, mm. which is right across the bridge from Philadelphia. It's like six miles from Philadelphia. Wow. Lady of Lords Hospital in Camden, New Jersey. Is that where you uh, grew up, or did you yeah. move around? I grew up. I grew up in a little town just east of Camden, Earlton, which became Cherry Hill, which if you ever drive through that part of South Jersey, it's, a, it's big. Grew up in a very, very almost urban, suburban, mm-hmm. urban area. But I once I left to go to college, I was never back and nobody in my family's still there. Everybody's gone. So how did you like end up in Vermont? That's a long story. So <laughs> went to college in West Virginia, Elkins, West Virginia, small school called Davis and Elkins, just a thousand students in uh, the it really in the mountains very much like here uh, right on the edge of the Monongahela National Forest so I went there and I met my uh, I met my wife uh, there and we decided we didn't want to stay in West Virginia it was a beautiful place but economically you could just tell it was going to struggle and we didn't know exactly where we were going to stay and uh, we were married in 1981 and uh, traveled all across the country. We had a small Volkswagen convertible and uh, we traveled from Pennsylvania as far south as Savannah, as far west as New Mexico, northwest Colorado where my oldest brother was living at the time in Steamboat. And then realized that that was way too far, it was too far west for family. So we traveled back east and then came up through New England. that was kind of the compromise was because mm. I wanted to live in Telluride and we were traveling up through Western Vermont looking for jobs. We had, actually, back then you had a typewriter and you, uh, we would search for jobs and we'd fill out the cover page and attach it to our resumes and, and send them out to people. And, uh, I stopped traveling in Burlington. We really liked Burlington because Burlington, reminded us of Boulder and we really liked Boulder, Colorado. Both towns have a big walking street and Burlington had just created Church Street. And uh, so we stopped there. I got offered a job in Middlebury and uh, that was in the February of 1982. And I've been in that area ever since. Wow. Yeah. So you yeah. live in Middlebury? I live in Cornwall, just outside of Middlebury. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you... Um major and in college was it education related i was a psych major i was a psychology major uh did a lot of work when i was in college in uh, group homes for folks with developmental disabilities and uh that's what i did here my first job in middlebury was i opened the men's group home oh wow in in middlebury yeah that was my first job that's that's the one that settled me down well i was in college i used to do part-time jobs and one of my part-time jobs is I worked weekends at the group home in Elkins mm-hmm. so I, I, I had experience doing that and I've never regretted settling in Middlebury it was a great place for us yeah. uh, this part of the Champlain Valley we really liked 
Uh, when you were in high school, did you have any other plans as to what you wanted to do? Or when you got to college, it just kind of seemed to fall together? Uh, I was going to be an art major. Oh. <clears throat> yeah, I was a ceramic artist when I was in high school. I was a ceramic artist uh, with a, a minor in ceramic arts in college. I think you mentioned that, the uh, Otter Valley Lions. So. Yeah. And so, yeah, I was an art major. And uh, I thought I might have gone in that route. I actually submitted a portfolio to a college in uh, central, north central Pennsylvania and got accepted there, but ended up going to West Virginia. Can't really say exactly why I made that decision other than like the location where I was going. And uh, I, you know, my goal was to do that. When I <clears throat> realized that, that I wasn't really going to be able to make a living as a ceramic artist. I mean, I'd, or it's a very difficult way to make a living. Uh, and I was also at the same time doing all this work with uh, – there was a place there called the Appalachian Mental Health Center. So I did a lot of work with them, not just with folks with developmental disabilities, but I was doing, I was working in shelters for battered women. I was doing a whole lot of stuff. I was working with uh, domestic abuse situations and um, kind of led me down in through the, this psychology mode. But yeah, I was, a, I was a psychology major. With all of the ceramics and mm -hmm. art, um, if you could have known your career would have allowed you to end mm -hmm. up here, would you have continued that path or would you have made some other decisions? I, um, I don't regret the way I've spent 30 years, <clears throat> what I've been doing, not at all. Um, in some ways, I think that it was destined that I didn't end up having a small ceramic studio and desperately trying to figure out how to make people buy coffee mugs <clears throat> so that I could pay the mortgage. I've also would say that um, the interaction I'm having with you two right now is the kind of thing that absolutely sparked my life for 30 years that I've been here, you know? So I don't regret the path that I took, which was very, very non-traditional way that I came into being an administrator and working in education. Um, I don't think I would cha I would have changed it. If that's what you're asking, Jasmine, would I change it? No. Would Are there any other kind of ways that you kind of wish you went down this path? Like maybe did you wish you got into education earlier or just any kind of minor changes that might maybe would have helped you or allowed you to accomplish other things that you might have wanted to? I, I don't think so because I think that I think that the way I got here, as unique as it was, it kind of had to go that way. So... I come into Middlebury. I open the group home. I work there for a year. I realize I don't want to do residential, you know, working in residential facilities anymore. And I go into an organization that had a sheltered workshop for folks with developmental disabilities. And that was when they used to house everybody in one place and have everybody do tasks and, and work. And we kind of tore that apart where we really looked at how did we, how do we find folks jobs in the community? So they're actually working in the community. And I dismantled that organization and created one that still exists in Middlebury called Employment Associates, where we did job placement and training for folks with disabilities in Middlebury. While I was doing that, the University of Vermont was interested in training people how to improve on how to do that. And I got a master's, they, they, I paid for my master's degree. I got a master's degree in education with a special specializing in vocational education while I was running Employment Associates. They, those pieces all had to come together. So I did that, and then 
a position opened here at Otter Valley in 1991. They, they were looking for somebody to help find employment and get people out, especially folks with disabilities, out in employment sites in, in Otter Valley. Because I held the master's degree, because I had done the work in Middlebury, that led me to this position. And that's how I got here. So I do that job for three years. I create a career center. I connect all these different organizations in Otter Valley. You know, there was a Jobs for Vermont grads. There was a work-based learning. There's all these different pieces that we put together. And after three years of doing that, they were desperately needed an associate principal. Desperately. They couldn't fill the position. They started the school year without one. And the principal and the then exec associate principal asked me to do it for a year. And that was 1994. And I told them I would do it for one year and get them out of the hole because I had a great job. I mean, I had a lot of fun. I mean, I was out in the community a lot. I did a lot of different things. Um, I, still see, I still see people that I helped get jobs who are now in their mid to late 30s, you know, see me and talk about, remember when we used to do that stuff, you know? So um, all of those pieces had to kind of come together. What I would say is every time a door opened, I went through the door. And that's what I tell my own children, and, or at least think about it. At least look at the door and decide why would you or not go through that door. So every time a door opened for me, I frequently went through the door, even though it might have scared the living bejesus out of me. Like becoming an associate principal, having not really taught in a school, was really scary. But it was, it was a life-changing experience for me. So there really is, I don't, there's, I, don't, I don't think there's a way that I could have gone back and said, oh, I should have done this mm -hmm. to lead here. Everything I did was great, and everything opened up the next door for me to go through. Now, you got to also understand, I was, while I was running Employment Associates, I was coaching. I was an assistant swim coach at Middlebury College. Before I did that, I used to be in charge of um, making all the clay and all the glazes and firing all the kilns at Frog Hollow. So I had lots of different pieces going on mm -hmm. that all led me to here in 2022, after a 30-year career in this building. It's just mind-boggling to me um two things so what would you say the hardest part of your job has been and then what's been um maybe the best part that you, um that's made you stay so long that you've enjoyed the most i think the let's see that's a good part there's a lot of hard parts <laughs> there are a lot of hard parts um there there really are i mean there's hard things like uh back in the past, making some really difficult, difficult financial decisions and mm -hmm. ending some of the programs that I started or coordinated or put together. So, and, and making decisions that impact people's lives are really hard, really hard. Um, I would say that it's a position where you deal with conflict a lot and sometimes that can be extremely wearing to be in conflict. A lot because it's not my nature to be in conflict some people kind of thrive on that I don't really thrive on it I would say that um, uh, you, you may not get this from me but I'm kind of like powered by relationships and uh, that's what that's the best part for me is uh, relationships with kids relationships with uh, adults relationships with this community i mean it to literally love a community is you know that's amazing to 
use that word. Some people are afraid to use that word. And I have felt that love back. And so, uh, I mean, I think that's what, that's what inspires you all the time. I mean, you know, JD's sitting there behind you. I mean, I knew JD when he was you. And uh, there's this relationship that I still have with JD. So I think that, you know, that, that's really the power that fires you up. Uh, what do you think you'll miss most? Is it those relationships? Oh, absolutely. That's the one I worry about the most. Mm-hmm. Because, um, <clears throat> yeah, that's what I worry about absolutely the most is where is that, how do I fill that void? How do I still have that? It's pretty much on steroids when you're here with me, <laughs> you know? I mean, it's not just, you know, I'm not just going to an office with like three people. Yeah. I come to a building with over 500 kids, mm-hmm. 100 plus staff people, and every one of them I'm connected to at some level in various degrees. The other part, is you get kind of addicted to, it's like being in an emergency room sometimes. You know, you get kind of addicted to the, how many different things can you handle at one time? I mean, they did a, they did a study one time on the number of decisions a principal makes in the course of a day, and it's like off the chart. Because you make, you make decisions like, should the flag be raised right now? Or, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and, and do we use paper or do we use, you know? <laughs> I mean, from the mundane to the, this is a complex decision that has to get made that impacts, you know, teaching and learning for kids. That's the other part. I, I worry about going from, I, I'm going to point to JD again. He sees me come through the door. And as soon as I come through the door, it's bang. You know, look at, look at our sub coverage. Who do we got? What do we got? How do we figure this out? Who can go where? You know, it's like a giant Rubik's cube. And, um, you know, to not have that, some people would say that's great. You don't have that anymore, but you get kind of addicted to it. Would you say you're excited to have that more, that um, have a lot more free time, or what are you most excited about? I think I'm excited to, yes, I'm excited to uh, be able to pursue some things that uh, I can't do because of the time constraints. Um, I'm a avid road bike rider, and, uh, um, you know, I look forward to being able to ride my bike when the weather's great. Um, I'm an avid uh, hiker. You know, I spent a lot of time in the Adirondacks and the Green Mountains, and uh, I look forward to being able to do that unrestrained. I look forward to, I have four kids, various places in the country, and uh, I look forward to being able to do that. Um, I look forward to returning to ceramic arts nice. and diving back into that. I, I uh, have put my name forward to offer to the Vermont Principals Association to be a mentor to new principals if they, uh-huh. if so chosen to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm kind of interested in, I'm also, you know, getting involved in a group that works with folks around grief. I mean, uh, you know, I don't know, um, you know, you, you know what I, you know, my, the loss of my wife two years ago kind of opened up that world to me. And uh, I, I look forward to being able to help people go through that process in the future or at least be there for them. Maybe mm-hmm. it's hard to help, but to just be there. So I think there's lots of things that, and I think things that I can't even think of yet that might open up. Uh, what do you think made you stay so long at this job? I'd say one thing is my job has changed a lot over the years. Mm-hmm. So it was never like I was just doing the same thing every year. 
And I was able to be exceptionally creative and do very creative things here. Um, things that have come and gone, you know. Um, for instance, all of the work we did around China. I mean, for 14, 15 years, this school had this amazing relationship with China and, and Asia. We were hosting, visiting scholars all the time. We actually had a Chinese language teacher here for five years, one for three years, one for two years prior to COVID. We just were able to create this relationship with the Vermont International Academy in Shanghai. I was given the free reign to do that. You know, I was, you know, I was responsible for all these things that I had to do. I had to oversee transportation for a long time. I oversaw, I always was involved with athlete, overseeing athletics, um, you know, overseeing secretarial staff, faculty. But I was also able to do other things. I mean, we created something that was called the Neshebi Otter Valley Alliance, and it was uh, upperclassmen in Otter Valley being trained to be mentors at Neshebi. Once a week, they'd go to Neshebi and be mentors with kids who were identified needing mentors. I mean, we did that for years, and it was solid. So anyway, I guess that was one of the things that always excited me about being here. I, I have to say that the longer you stay, the more deeply ingrained you get into the fabric. And um, you start bleeding royal blue, and you become exceptionally proud of what people do and accomplish. And, you know, I think that's what, that's what kept me. I mean, I think some people would say, why didn't you go pursue something else? Because a lot of principals do that. They stay for five to seven years and they move. And for, for good, good reasons, they want to either become curriculum coordinators, they want to become superintendents, mm -hmm. they want to move. I always liked being with students and doing things with students and being in musicals, I mean, you know, I mean, I probably was in, I can't even remember how many, eight, ten, Mr. Hall knows for sure, but. We heard about that. We heard about your love for theater. Mm -hmm. so, so which were your um, favorite productions to be Oh, in? my God. I've forgotten yeah. more than I can remember. My favorite one? I, I guess what I'd have to say is there's two that were pretty amazing. They all were amazing. I think. But it got to where sometimes my time would be so limited that I would say to Mr. Hall, no lines, no singing, you know? Yeah. Or, you know, so he would look for, and if he worked me into a part, it would be, you know, I could literally walk on. I think the first one I did had to be probably one of my favorites. And I think it was, it, I was Big Jewel in Guys and Dolls. Big Jewel, if you ever watch it, Big Jewel is, uh, he's a thug. And that's, <laughs> he's a thug. <laughs> He's, he cheats, he gambles with loaded dice, he carries a gun, and, and he's a thug. He's, a, he's just, you know, he's the bad guy. And it was great. I got to be the bad guy on stage with some wonderful, <laughs> wonderful actors. You know, uh, Eric Millette was one of them. He runs the Paramount Theater now. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, I got to do some really – but that was the first one I ever did. I never was in a musical in my life. Never. Wow. Not in high school, not – Outside of high school, never. That was the first one I ever did, and I was scared to death. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, because I had a lot of lines, too, and a mm. lot of lines that Eric and I had to deliver in a dialogue that if you dropped one, the, the dialogue made no sense. Yeah. And uh, I got to learn about how hard theater kids work and how much teamwork goes into being in the theater. 
and uh, I never got very good at it, but I learned about putting <laughs> makeup on. I used to, eventually people said, well, you can't do your own makeup. We have to take care of this for you. Um, I learned to love what was happening there. The fall after I did Guys and Dolls, we did Charlie Brown. Yeah, we did it as a, it was a faculty. It was all faculty. Wow. <laughs> it was all faculty. And we did it as I a fundraiser for the theater program. Oh, wow. And uh, we did two night stand of Charlie Brown. And, uh, you know, I'll always think, you know, uh, I think Mr. Jeske was Linus. <laughs> uh, Miss, Miss, uh, Miss Roberts was Lucy. So I'm trying to think of who is still standing around. That's uh, a lot of those folks who did it with me, with us, are gone. But uh, that was a, it was a really, it was a hoot to do a musical with the faculty. Mm-hmm. And uh, once again, it really challenges challenge the Dickens. I do a to do a monologue all by yourself on stage. It takes some serious guts, you know, because there's nowhere to hide. You yeah. start dropping <laughs> the lines, man. You know, it's like. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the rest of them I had fun with. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I had fun with lots of them. But like I said, I can't. I started getting typecast. I started always getting plugged in. Like in West Side Story, I was, you know, the geeky you know, teacher who tries uh, to get the fight on yeah. the control. I began to think that I started to get typecast in the uh, end, so I had to end my career. Ended yeah. Your, yeah. <laughs> um, going back to um, not a lot of the people mm-hmm. that were in the play being here anymore, do you think that as a principal and, like, working here for so long and making relationships with people, like, seeing people go bec- because there are so many staff members and because... I mean, you have a relationship with mm-hmm. all of them. Is that is that hard, kind of forming a relationship and then seeing them kind of move on with oh, sure. their life? Absolutely. Absolutely. Some of, some, sadly, some of them have died. Mm. Oh, yeah, I've been to a lot of funerals over these years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It is hard. It is hard. But you have to respect that. I mean, you know, Miss Willard's doing the right thing for her this year. Absolutely. You know, just admire her for what she did here. And I know that some school's going to get a knockout art teacher she's got to do it so yeah it is hard though Mm -hmm. you know yeah you know you become deeply connected to people what would you say you think needs to be improved at otter valley like maybe something that you first saw when you came here that maybe you never got around to or something that maybe is just newly arisen that you think we need to work towards salt people need to be willing to accept everyone who's in the building for whoever they are and i think that that that's something that is a constant, constant struggle. And so is it, is it different than it was when I started as an administrator in 94? I, I think those same issues are there. I think the language is different. I think the understanding is different. I, I think that um, that's probably, to me, that would be, you know, people call it climate and culture. I was asked one time, do you want, what do you want, when they leave, what do you want them to have experienced or whatever. I, I said I wanted every kid at Otter Valley to feel like they were loved when they left. I think they were expecting me to say that they could all, you know, calculate algebra or something, yeah. you know. I said I think every kid should be loved. And uh, that's what you try for. That's Sorry. That's really nice. How did they uh, react? The... They spent two days here. Uh-huh. And they came, met me the next, and they said, uh, there's, a, there's an undercurrent of love in this building uh-huh. for children. That's what they told me. But it's something you still got to work on all the time. 
because not every kid feels that way when they leave. Yeah. Not every kid feels that way. And they interpret love in different ways. Yeah. I mean, uh, there are certain people, they wouldn't use that language, mm -hmm. but I, you know, I would tell them that's, that's how I felt. Yeah. You know? That's good. Yeah. yeah. So that, to me, that is the, that is the constant uh -huh. struggle. Yeah. And you know what? We're a reflection of our society. And it's not, it's not like this is our thing and the rest of the world. It, it's, a, it's, it's a societal thing. Uh, what's some advice you would give to high school students, including the ones who don't really apply themselves or don't really want to try or find it necessary to so, try? Um, I would say find what your passion is and don't hold back. I, I was... Um, I, I know it surprises you that I'm an administrator and a principal in a building, but um, I was a terrible student. Pretty close to being asked to leave my high school because I did not get it. I didn't get it. I didn't see the connection. And I come from a family of educators and brothers who went to college, and uh, I was, I did not, you know, it didn't connect for me. And uh, I found a ceramic studio in the high school I was in, pretty big one. And I found a guy named Ed Cook. He was my ceramic arts teacher. I remember him to this day. I have a piece of his artwork in my house because I worked for him in the summers. I made all the clay, made all the glazes, worked for him. But Ed Cook kept me connected, kept my head above water. And even though I got out of that high school, 700 student graduating class. Got out of that high school by the skin of my teeth. Absolutely by the skin of my teeth. The only reason I got in that college was because I had good SAT scores and they had a program to take kids who basically did poorly in high school and they worked with you on the first semester to make sure that you didn't fail and drop out. But boy, when I found ceramics, I was in deep. I went deep. I mean, I... I almost became a pro. I was going to apprentice. By the end of my career in college, I had an apprenticeship offered to me by a man who made ceramic arts that's in the White House. Wow. And so, yeah, his name was Duke Meisnikowski. And Duke and I were like, we were tight. And so when I got into it, I got in deep. I studied. All of a sudden, chemistry meant something to me because I wanted to know how, you know, glazes formed and how glazes fired. How they, what happened at various temperatures. So my recommendation is find what it is and run hard with it. Don't hold back. Don't just go deep. And that, that's, that's, my, that's what I would say. Because, boy, you, if, there, are, <laughs> there are people in graves back in New Jersey who are rolling over thinking that Jim Avery became an administrator for 27 <laughs> years. Are you kidding me? We, we tried to kick him out. As a matter of fact, tried a couple times. <laughs> Did you ever go back to like a reunion and tell them you were? Uh, no. Yeah. No. Was it just? No. Beside, aside from the ceramics, was mm -hmm. it that you didn't feel that sense of love or community there? No. And I, and I, and I you know, I probably was pursuing lots of, uh, lots of uh, extracurricular things that weren't healthy. Uh, I did play football. I was a, a four-year football guy. I was a four-year swimmer, captain of both teams. 
you know, captain of the football, captain of the swimming team. Mm. Um, so, you know, I did pursue that stuff. Yeah. But I, I think, uh, no, I, I've not, I'm not going back. I'm, I have every once in a while. I forget what happened recently. I was in back somewhere near my hometown, in my wife's hometown, Lancaster. And I ran into somebody who I was a sw- on the swim team with me. And he looked at me and went, you're a principal of a high school. <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah. As a matter of fact, I was assistant principal of the year back in such and such, wow. you know. So, yeah, I was. You know, <laughs> yeah. So what? As a matter of fact, I think it works to my advantage. <laughs> okay. Because I don't want to cry again, we have a question to switch things up. Would you rather fight a bear-sized duck or 100 duck-sized bears? <laughs> Would I rather fight a <clears throat> bear-sized duck? Yeah. Big. Yep. I see. I'm I'm a visual guy. That's why I learn. So I got to visualize it. Big. A very big duck. duck. Or Huge. lots of little tiny bears it's that are size, size of ducks. Like this big. But they're like a big. They're like yeah. a Muscovy duck. Or my duck, thinking you know? was there's just <laughs> oh there's God. just like, one yeah. one bear sized duck. One of them. But then there's like a hundred raccoon-sized ducks, essentially. Or a hundred yeah. uh, So I'm, I'm, I'm following your bears. logic. I, I think I go yeah. with the, although I'm not liking the idea of getting bit <laughs> by a bear-sized duck. But maybe I could, unru- I could outrun it because mm-hmm. they kind of waddle. You know, so I'll go with I'll go with the I'll go with the bear size. There you go, Jasmine. No, I'm not sure about that because, like, a gigantic duck, and they have like teeth down their throat. So like, like if if you're in their mouth, you're done for. I'm I'm willing to understand. I made a bad decision. You know, (laughs) but like, but the tiny bears, if if they bite you, yeah, but they're not tiny. It's like a rat. If you told me they were the size of mice, then maybe I'd be okay. Then I could kick them. But you you can kick (laughs) duck-sized bears. Really? I think so. Grizzly bears or black bears? I mean, they're both. Grizzly size bears ducks. are the bigger. You're going ones, okay. Yeah. All right. Really? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Guys, know. I don't know. But a hundred of them. How many could you kick? You if, underestimate if you use both how feet, many. You can... All right, all right. I'm, I'm still going with There's the big. A, I'm like still going with the big kids duck. in the freshman class. So imagine that's I'm, I'm okay, still going but they're with the, the size duck. of ducks. So I don't know. They'd be as. But like I say, Jess, I could, I could be making the wrong decision here. I don't know. I guess we'll have to find two ginormous ducks. And very small bears, and then we'll all test it. There See you go. what happens. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'll think about that. Back when you were uh, when you were growing up, did you have any uh, like a big friend group or in any nicknames? Um, I did have a big friend group. Okay. <clears throat> I did because I did all these different things, and, and across across, I I, I mixed across a whole lot of people. So you know, I had this kind of athletic football crowd, and then the swimming crowd, and then the artistic ceramic, you know, the art crowd, mm-hmm. and music crowd so i was kind of mixed along um you know they just you know they just shortened me to ave and then uh, uh when i was in college it still was ave and then i was playing in a softball game one time and uh, some guy slid into second base and, and he hit his hit his head against like my shin knocked himself <laughs> out so then it, then i became rock ave rock no ave rock ave rock on second so no that was about it yeah no no nothing like tiny or yeah <laughs> You know, speedy. Yeah. Uh, I feel like the nicknames are just getting like progressively worse. Like <laughs> Freddy Boo Boo Bear. Over Jazzy. Here. McDazzle. Some people call me McDazzle. 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 Yeah, it's, it's I my like mom. That one. That's more better than mine. They call me uh, Class Prez. 
Nobody him. calls him that. That's what uh, like that's what Logan like and called. Logan and Lucas that group. They that's what they call me. The press. I'm, also, yeah. I'm not sure right. if they know your name. All right, the press. <laughs> I know. I'm kidding. No. They, they well, know. Did your you name. call him at first, Brady Boo Boo Bear? <laughs> Whoa! It's it's well, Brenny Brenny Boo Boo Bear. Oh, that just rolled Brenny Brenny Boo Boo Bear. Very intimate with a lot. It really rolled right off my tongue. I know it's McDazzle. It's gonna stick, you know. No. My final thirty days here. She, oh. likes, she likes being called Jazzy. Jazzy? No, I don't. <laughs> He's lying to you. Some people. No, I promise. Yeah. Some people call you me. Can you give me that look again Jay-Z. if I say it? <laughs> that look was like uh, you guys can't see this look, but this look is like don't say it again. <laughs> I remember earlier you uh, mentioned your brother. Do you have any other siblings? Or are you very close with? Uh, yeah, I have yeah. two brothers. Nice. I'm the youngest of three. Uh, so, yeah, I have a brother who's in Lynchburg, Virginia. He's 68. Mm-hmm. And my oldest brother, 72 now, oh. lives in uh, Florida, Benita oh. Springs, Florida. Um, my mother's still alive, by the way, just for interest. Oh, yeah, we, we have that <laughs> You got on it? My mother just turned 100. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. my gosh. She just turned 100 on Saturday. Yeah. She wow. turned 100. That's where I was. I was in Virginia nice. celebrating her 100th birthday. How has she inspired you? Um, she was an educator. She was a special educator, mm-hmm. and um, she's inspired us, you know, through life because she's just an. She's been an op, She's an optimist. Yeah, she f- sees what can be positive in sometimes bad situations. She tries to find out. So she's an optimist. Incredibly, um, always, you know, one of those folks that was, you know, the joke was. Mom never took the elevator. She never took the escalator. She was always walking the stairs, yeah. right? She also taught me to respect everyone. She would bring me as a kid into her classroom when I was a little guy. And that was when they had um, everybody who had any kind of disability went to like a single spot. It was segregated from everybody else, and mm-hmm. she would be teaching them. She treated them just like everybody else. She talked to them like adults. She treated them like adults. She expected them to do things like adults. And uh, I would say that she taught me to respect those folks who were typically not respected. Do you think that kind of like helped you as a teacher? I think what it helped me see was that you still respect people, even through the toughest of times. Mm-hmm. And in my case, I would always be like, most people are gonna, are, we're going to change. And things are going to be different. Maybe that's how it influenced me. Mm-hmm. But I think I always tried to figure out what where people are coming from. But it doesn't mm-hmm. make it okay to bully people or yeah. call them. I mean, my mother was an Italian. She was born in 1922. You know, she was uh, discriminated against because she was Italian. And so I have a pretty sensitive feeling about discrimination as well as understanding that I don't have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. I'm, the, I'm a white, privileged male. <clears throat> but I also know that she did. My father, who was English, rented an apartment one time when they were young. And when they saw my mother come through the door, classic Roman Italian, black, black hair, they looked at her and said, boy, if we'd known you were moving here, we wouldn't let you in. I mean, so I also know that I never had to deal with that. Mm-hmm. So, Directly from Italy? Uh, she was a first generation. Oh. My grandparents. Uh, my parents, bur- my yeah. grandparents came over yeah. in the early 1900s. So, but my, yeah, so my mother was that first generation born in, uh, she was born in New York. 
Was this mainly because of um, World War II or just a perspective at the time against uh, Italian people? And oh, I think it was just there's a there was a, a discrimination just because they were general, Italian. People, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that was prior to the war. Yeah, that, yeah, that was all. <clears throat> that was just because of discrimination. Yeah. Is there anything that you really hope to accomplish in your retirement? Oh, I haven't figured that out yet. I want to ride my bicycle over the App Gap. Wow. How's that? How's that for a declaration? Wow. That's a it's on record now. <laughs> you know, I, I ride a lot, but I've never been over the top of uh, the App Gap, which is the biggest one. So uh, there'd be something. So I don't know. I I, I don't know. I, I'm uh, that's something. That's one of the things I struggle with, Jasmine. Is what's part of the next thing after you've spent 30 years doing this, where you can point to things, things that have been started that exist. There's many things I feel great about, and I really, really, really know that you've got some great people coming in. The two new principals that you got coming in are, I think, they're going to be dynamos. They're yeah. going to be great, and uh, they're going to do great stuff. Being an old football head, you think about moving the ball down the field, and I feel like I move the ball down the field over my time, but I've got two people who are going to pick the ball up and move it farther down the field. So um, in my retirement, who knows what I get into, you know? Who knows? I, I will find something that I will dive into, though, and just go after it. I mean, China became my love. I mean, I read everything I could put my hands on in China, and I, you know, I used to work for the Asian Studies Outreach Program. I used to lead teachers to China. Wow. So you guys don't know anything about me. Yeah, I probably went to China, I don't know, 14 times, 12 oh times. Gosh. I don't even know. I've lost track. Yeah, yeah I so, feel like because like we're students and we only have such a small interaction with adults and we don't really like know their lives, I feel like it's really easy to kind of overlook it. Like you don't yeah. look at Mr. Avery and think. COVID hit and we didn't even know what we'd look like. Yeah. yeah. You know? So there was a period, I would say from 2019 on, Obviously, my world changed, and our our worlds changed. You go into the library, look behind the front desk. There's a massive woodblock cut of a man called Confucius. That was a gift from a visiting school, the Chufu Normal University. That's where that came from. That group of educators came to our school, visited our school, spent time with all of us, and that was their gift. So... I mean, these, these are little things that I'm glad I got to tell you these things, you know, yeah. thanks for doing the podcast. I mean, you know, I could do the whole, we could do a whole podcast on China. Remember you mentioned, um, you'd want to go around, see your family, uh, across uh -huh. the country, but, um, do you think you see yourself traveling all over the world? Like maybe going back to China? Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. I'd love to. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. I still have a, a very, very dear friend lives in North central China. We still write each other. Uh, he's one of the first people I met. Back in 04, um, we've stayed close all this time. We write each other at least twice a year. Yes. So, yeah, I'd go back and see Xu Jin. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And, and other places. I, yeah, I, I, there's, definitely, uh, there's definitely other places I want to go. I've, I haven't been to the Caribbean enough. I'd like to go there. I'd love to see Mexico. I'd love to go to New Zealand. I haven't been to New Zealand. Do you have any, like, favorite memory? Like, maybe it was just something so funny. I don't. You know what, Jazz? I don't think so. No? No, I don't think there's like one thing. I really don't think there's one thing. Mm -hmm. There's just, it's so rich, you know? Um, it's so rich. 
Um, you know, maybe one, it's tragic, but the way this community supported me after my wife died, that mm. was amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, just staggering. I mean, both the school and the community, you know? So if there's a favorite memory, you know, I, I don't, that's not a great thing to dwell on, but, mm-hmm. but I think about, though, though, I think it's more of a, I think if I were to say it's more of a feeling rather than a thing, because mm-hmm. I did so many different things, you know? I mean, I, I've done stuff that I've forgotten I did. <laughs> JD will still, they'll say to me, don't you remember when you got knocked and, you know, you did the dunking booth or, you know, we, we did the day without shoes to raise awareness about people without shoes. Um, pep rallies. I, I think it's more of a, I think I would say, and I guess I'm trying to answer your question. I think it's a memory of the connectedness mm-hmm. and the love that comes from this school and the community. Yeah, that's what it is. Who would you say your, um, your hero is that uh, inspires you the most? You know, you know who I, uh, you ever hear of Ernest Shackleton? I believe so. Ernest Shackleton was a uh, polar explorer whose ship was trapped in the ice. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, I'm trying to remember, 18 months. And he brought all his his mates, he brought all his, he brought them all back alive. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, he brought them all back alive. Yeah. I've, I've always admired him as a leader. Mm-hmm. He always admired Ernest Shackleton as a leader. Yeah. He may not have made it to the pole, you know, he's not, <laughs> he's not known for making it to the pole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's known for the ability to lead, yeah. you know, all of his men at the time, all of his men to safety. And it took him, I think, 14 or 18 months through some of the worst conditions in the world. But he did it. And I've always admired that in him. So when I, people used to ask me about who, what leadership person, yeah. I used to, Ernest Shackleton's always been one. And then um, is there any particular quote that maybe you really resonate with or you just think it's really nice? One is from Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. And let me just paraphrase it. Basically, Roosevelt said, it's not the people who criticize you mm-hmm. from the outside. You know, it's it's... You know, it's not those people who stand outside of the arena and criticize the people in the arena. You know, it's the people in the arena. And I've always kind of carried that with me that because I always felt like we're in the arena. You know, these people who are critiquing from the outside, you know, he was like, they're nothing. You know, it's the person that's in the arena that deserves to be admired. And then there's, uh, there's another one. Oh, gosh, he's a UVM amazing expeditionary person um but i think it's something along the lines of uh i'll paraphrase again i always am worried about the self-inflicted tasks i put on myself because you're always kind of pushing yourself becoming an administrator for me was a scary thing taking on doing a musical and Trying to learn how to, you know, no, no, there's the mark, Mr. Avery. Got to hit that mark. <laughs> yeah. I remember, you know, so all, you know, to saying things like, I'm going to ride my bike over the top of AppGap. I mean, that is a foolish idea. <laughs> <laughs> but one that I, 
I'm laying it out right now. I want to, that's one of my things to try to do. So I frequently wonder, I frequently am like, oh boy, what if you, I, I've told you I coach swimming. I've done some long distance w- swims, you know, six, seven, eight miles. You wow. know, and, uh, yeah, that's impressive. You know, in the midst of it, you know, you're like, God, what? <laughs> Who, what, <laughs> what idea was this? <laughs> you know? So anyway, that those are two. Yeah. Those are two. I've always admired Teddy Roosevelt. Oh, uh, uh, we heard about these really like long and um, tedious and difficult things, like uh, you bike for long periods of time mm-hmm. and like your miles mm-hmm. swims. Yep. Why do you push yourself so hard? Like, why do you set these why do I goals for yourself? Climb mountains in the Adirondacks in the winter. Yeah, <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, I think I'm, uh, I'm always, I've always been somewhat fascinated with what you mentally and physically go through when you do that, when you push yourself at those limits, when you put yourself out there. Um, it reminds you that you're alive when you're, when you're pushed out there. I sometimes wonder if there's some, something happened deep in my youth that has damaged me, that makes me feel like I have to, like, over-accomplish something. Yeah. You know, I, I, I didn't, I've never really thought of it that quite that deep. But I, I think that um, there's something about putting yourself mentally and physically at that challenging point. And then you, you find out where your limits are, and you keep pushing them. So uh, I, I do know that it also makes me feel like I'm alive. When I do that, um, it, in in the last couple of years, it helped fill a void. That was also what it did, and mm. so, yeah. you know, I could fill a void that way. But I was doing six mile swims twenty years ago. You know, races. They were wow. races. Mm. You know, we were doing these big open water races. So, I think it's because I, if I also honestly reflect about it, which I should be, um, it's a per- certain part of my ego. <laughs> that, that you know there's a you know egotistical you know, like yeah i did this you know so i there's definitely a part that feeds my ego which is some would say pretty big <laughs> <laughs> show all the people back in uh your old school yeah, or even amongst my you know i hang with a crowd that kind of does this stuff and so uh you know they'll be like whoa you, you know you climbed noon mark after that snowstorm, <laughs> yeah, we did. Any um, other things you'd like to say? Any ending remarks? Yeah. Well, I think I've said to you what this place means to me, um, so I think you've captured that. I really appreciate you asking me to do this because you don't get to have these conversations easily, mm-hmm. and this is a great way to have a conversation with you too. And uh, no, this is probably this is a great way for me to one of the one of the things I can do as I go. This is wonderful. So thank you. No, thank you for yeah, doing a this. lot. You bet. Thanks for being so open. <laughs> really great. Yeah. Thank you both. Yeah, of course. You. you did a great job. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Really you well done. <laughs> thank you. This is yeah. Jasmine, Brendan, and Mr. Avery. Out. Out. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Thank you for listening. Best of luck in retirement to Mr. Avery, and we'll talk to you next time.